episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? The Milwaukee Bucks are the 2021 champions through all of the criticism, through all of the hate that fueled them all season uh, from many a podcast, including one that I'm prominently involved in. Um, they have emerged victorious. They beat the Phoenix Suns last night 105-98 to to win that series 4-2. to The It was an absolute mayhem scene outside of that stadium. There were 65,000 people outside the stadium, just literally just sitting there. Uh, what do they call that thing? The, the Deer District. Deer District, yeah. So obviously um, you, you, you have some thoughts. Uh, I'm sure your thoughts have evolved as this playoffs have gone along, as this series has gone along. So let's start with you. What was your biggest takeaway uh, from last night? And of course, from the last four games, really, when the Bucks just turned the series on its head. So as someone who's always believed in Giannis and the Bucks, I mean, nothing <laughs> about this was surprising. No. Um, look, this was one of the greatest finals performances I have ever seen. I think most people would agree from any NBA player from the 20, 30 years I've been watching basketball, right? Like, when did I start watching? Probably in the mid-90s, so at least yeah. 25 years of basketball. There's no denying how great this game was. And I think um, for all – I'll just start off by saying for all the trash I've talked about Giannis and for all the criticisms I've had of his game, I think he showed up every single one of them in this game. This was kind of like a culmination of – you know, the last throughout this final series, he's been playing well. But this one's where he put it all together. It's like the free throw shooting came to play. Um, he did hit a couple of, of jumpers. He had a couple of different moves to, to get to the basket. He was a force defensively. He had the playmaking. Um, he made some clutch, timely plays when it mm-hmm. mattered. It all came together, man. And 50 points. Uh, how many rebounds? 10, 13. 13. 13 rebounds. I think we have to start by just talking about that performance and, you know, in the NBA Finals, when the, the lights are the brightest, you expect your stars to show up, and he did that and more, which I I will admit I said he did not have it in him. I thought he was more of a 1B player. He has changed my perception of him, and I think he the sky's the limit for this guy moving forward. So let me, let's just start there with Giannis. What were your thoughts? Well, I think it's funny because I think you and I have been pretty aligned in – the entirety of the time we've been doing this podcast, but also even before, like, you know, the hours we've spent like dissecting this guy, right? The only difference is I jumped off the hate train about two weeks before, about four weeks really before you did. Once they beat Brooklyn, I was like, okay, this is a different version. Uh, You can take it all the way back to the start of the playoffs when they swept Miami. I said, that's nice. That's a big win just because of the mental block of last year, but he's still got bigger plans, right? They got three more rounds to go and they're going to be underdogs in the next series. And, Although I did like Milwaukee versus Brooklyn, a lot of that was more so predicated on something that didn't end up happening, right? Which is like, I thought they were going to play even with the Brooklyn Stars, and that actually didn't happen for the time that Kyrie was, you know, healthy and Harden was was healthy. Um, but dude, like, it is an absolute tour de force. I mean, he was... He averaged 35 a game in this series, and it was dragged down by his game one performance where he had 20 and 17 rebounds and was the first game back from like a crazy hyperextended knee. So the fact that that was like his worst game, so to speak, um, just is a testament to just night to night brilliance. And you and I were texting about this a little bit, but if you even started at the beginning of the playoffs, right, 
and you said, okay, rank every player in the NBA. It is unlikely that the Suns would have anyone in the top 15, I'd say. Maybe Paul cracked 10 to 15. Booker was not there, and Aiden was way far away, right? Giannis would have been top five. And so I think what we learned is that stardom, the differentiation between the top five to seven guys in the league versus the rest is palpable when you get to this level. Everyone else had their on games, off games. Everyone else had their on game, on quarters, off quarters. This guy was good every moment he was on the floor, basically. And it's very, very hard to do that. Um, Not only in your first finals appearance, not only coming off the injury, but also coming off a lot of playoff disappointment in years past. This isn't like a LeBron or KD where every time they step on the floor, they're pretty much awesome. This is a guy who's had his share of struggles at moments, at big moments. And for him to have done what he did, put together those types of six games, it's I was in disbelief, truthfully. I, I just he had like you said, especially last night, he had it all working at once. And, you know, you talked about the free throws. That was probably like a fluke from the man above himself. <laughs> but some of those turnaround mid-range, you know, ten to twelve footers, you're starting to think to yourself, you're like, could this be kind of a you know, a real permanent thing? Because to me, a big evolution in a guy like Joel Embiid's game is when that shot became consistent and he didn't just have to like brute force you to the rim. Giannis, if he works that into his game, oh man, it is going to be tough to stop this guy. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point where everyone else in the this series kind of played to their expectations, as you call it. I mean, we can talk about Chris Paul and his performance, but at the end of the day, Still performed decently well. Booker played, you know, maybe even better than average. And the rest of the rosters are up and down, like you mentioned. Giannis was the only guy who really elevated his game. And it's it's amazing because the confidence he was playing with, one of my issues with him in the Brooklyn series, um, a little bit in Atlanta too, was it seemed like he'd get in his own head. It seemed like he'd start taking the jumpers and they'd happen in a row, right? When he started shooting jumpers or three-pointers, you'd have a stretch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, or he, he'd get stuck kind of spamming the same move and then the, the, the defense could kind of adapt. I think today he learned how to mix it up. He played within a different pace of the game. He took threes, he took jumpers, but it all felt in the flow of a game. Nothing that was because the defense was forcing him to, but more because he was trying to kind of impose his will in multiple different ways. And, you know, we saw KD earlier this playoffs put up, what, 49? Yeah, And up until this point, I was like, that is the greatest performance we've seen this postseason. He is the best player in the league. And now we see Giannis put up a game like this, and, and it begs the question, right? Like, I know a lot of people are, this is like a big talking point on the, on the radio shows is, is he the best player in the league? And the scary thing is, he's only 26. And it's crazy, man. It's, it's funny, because a month ago, we were so down on him, but he still had two MVPs to his name, defensive player of the year to his name. And now after we saw this postseason performance and we saw the MVP and finals MVP, it all of a sudden puts him in a whole different conversation. And, you know, I'm not ready to call him like one of the top like all-time greats because he's got a long way to go. But that resume at 26 is It's almost unparalleled. It's like Tim Duncan level. And Duncan had, you know, four fewer years from just having, you know, gone to college. But the thing is, this is what I was telling you, right? I think we were being totally too harsh and then really you – Um, we're being way too harsh on a guy who was as accomplished as he was, like you said, all of the resume line points, but then also even in those series that you were talking about, I don't disagree that he's played a different version versus Phoenix, right? I don't, I don't think it's the exact same player we saw even earlier in the playoffs, 
But at the same time, his numbers were so monstrous, so efficient. Like, he was doing everything. It was basically like – it was kind of like, you know, Bill Simmons, like, 90-10 rule where it's like you put 90% on the table, you take 10% off. Every player, every star player has something that they don't do well. You know, you can go down the line and, and find that. But some guys, 10% is more glaring than others. And so, therefore, we focus on it more. Like, the prime – most prime example of this was probably, like, Russell Westbrook during his MVP All-NBA years – where like the turnovers and the bad shot selection were so just obvious that it made it hard to focus on all that he did well. Giannis started to enter that light where no matter how good he was, even if he was the best player in the game for 45 minutes, if he wasn't at the end, if he wasn't aggressive to go look for the ball, if he wasn't hitting his free throws, we knocked him in a way that was not commensurate with the you know amount of impact that had negatively versus all that he did positively. And I think it's not wrong to need a guy like Chris Middleton to create off the dribble mid-range shots. Maybe not every star needs to have done that. I mean, you just looked at a series where Philadelphia, for example, Joel Embiid, I just brought him up already, he can make his free throws, right? He was 86% during the season, but he's not a guy that you can necessarily just go to time again. And that's why they lost because they didn't have a Chris Middleton. They had Ben Simmons in that role, right? Or Tobias Harris. And so that was actually... You know, just because you play a certain type of way, I think we're so conditioned to be like, all right, I want the two-way wing who does everything um, because that's the Kawhi, LeBron, KD mold. And there's a lot of other guys I think that can be successful. Kobe, Jordan, like everything, a lot of the recent stars I think have flourished in that capacity. I think Giannis is just different. We took that at times to mean worse, and I don't know that it always means that. Well, the, the hard thing for me to reconcile was, and, and the reason I was so stubborn on him, despite all these great things he's doing and why I was focusing on the 10%, was you look at the other top 10 guys in the NBA. He's the only one that stands out in terms of that inability to shoot, that um, kind of passiveness during the end of a game. Like, in some ways, he would resemble Ben Simmons at the end of a game a little bit more than he resembled Kawhi, LeBron, Durant, Luka, Embiid, Anthony Davis. I'm naming all the top 10 guys. And mm-hmm. so, yes, we, we have to, like, maybe it wasn't fair to him because he is a very unique player. We haven't seen anyone like him. But the reason I had such a hard time grappling with it was because no other guy in the top 10, even if you go top 10 guys in the past 10 years, yeah. has ever looked like this. And so he was always kind of a weird person, uh, player to deal with where he's putting up these monster stats, but then his flaws were so glaring. And, you know, to his credit, those flaws are still there. They can be worked on. But... It, in the last couple series, like even Atlanta, to give him credit, he was he was playing pretty well. Yeah, before he got hurt, he was he was awesome. And and I think he's he's making me reevaluate how I think about players. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think there was a lot of people who were criticizing Giannis, and maybe it was not fair. But I think it's just because he's such a unique player. We haven't seen anyone like him. Like I don't even like the Shaq comparisons because Giannis plays kind of from the perimeter out. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. The Shaq comparisons basically to me are like dominant interior presence, like unbelievable in the restricted area, like physical specimen. But other than that, it, they attack the game from different parts of the court. Like they're, you know, Shaq would immediately just go post up and he wouldn't even go to the mid post. He was yeah. only like low post. Like it's, it doesn't feel the same, but maybe the comparisons are like, Hey, you should be going to do that. If you're Giannis, right. You should not be starting possessions at the top of the key. Uh, but or in this game, yeah, yeah, or mix it up. In this series, though, you know, get your thoughts here. It felt like the wall or whatever they were trying to do was basically worthless. Um, I don't know if that was just personnel based or did he do something that you think has sort of figured this out? Because 
a lot of those times, like when he would just go careening through the lane with the huge spin move, he would run into like three guys and get an offensive foul in years past, right? Okay. Especially in that Miami series last year. That's where I have like almost PTSD from watching that happen over and over again. Was there something different that he started to figure out? Um, or is it just that maybe Phoenix specifically didn't have the personnel to match and a guy as good as him, any type of weakness, he's going to go crazy on it? I think it's twofold. I think one is personnel. I mean, come on. Like the guys they're sending in to help would be Booker. It'd be um, Mikel Bridges. These are smaller guys. And the, But to Giannis's credit, I think his passing out of those, you know, when he did spin into that traffic, he made the right passes. And Giannis has always been a pretty good passer. But I think in the past couple of postseasons, he'd kind of be so set on making that move down low. He'd run into that wall and then try to make a decision too late and would, it would end up in a bad play. And I think... He's done a better job passing, but ultimately, let's be real, dude. Like, you got Frank Kaminsky, you have Aiden. And <laughs> it's not like Frank. Okay, Frank Kaminsky wasn't out here like logging forty minutes a night. No, but that third quarter was uh, was crucial, right? And you have to survive those Aiden minutes where he's off the floor. Yeah, um, he played twenty nine minutes in four games. Yeah, but but those uh, what are his, like? Let me look at his plus minus in those minutes. They're Probably not, not good. Not great. <laughs> but anyways, no. But to be honest, credit, I think he's figured it out a little bit more. Um, but what are you your know, thoughts? yeah, I mean, I think I think the passing and also it's really when, when we talk about passing and what do the great passers all do, right? Like the Lucas, Hardens, LeBrons of the world, Chris Paul. The reason why that they're great passers is not just because they see the, you know, the open guys on the court. It's that they are able to continue their own aggressiveness while staying controlled enough to keep your head up to be able to kind of almost have that like eyes behind your head, right? Like that type of thing where now Giannis can go into his moves without, you know, totally losing sight of where his corner shooters are or where like the dump off guy is. And so that's been a huge progression because it allows him to play more under control. And then if the help is coming, he passes. If it's not, he knows he can get around Aiden with his length. So I think that was one big thing. Secondly, like I mentioned, he started to figure out ways to, get to the eight to 12 foot jumper and it was working for him. That's not a shot that's been consistent for him in his career. I don't know if this was just like a really, really like kind of like good shooting stretch in that regard, but anywhere in the paint, it was his, um, what was the one game you shot like 13 for 13 in the restricted area. And then to me, that is about not having the size to match Aiton's foul trouble. The, the series basically like moved as Aiton got in foul trouble, right? If he was in foul trouble, they're going to get scorched earth, like killed, because it's either Kaminsky or they're trying to go small with some type of like Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson backline, which, you know, did not work, needless to say. Um, so I think it's a mix of things. I really am interested to see kind of how he evolves. You know, there's no question, like we've mentioned a million times, that he is a tireless worker, right? This isn't the Ben Simmons like work ethic, that type of thing. So I'm really interested to see what he tries to do, because on one hand, you're like, I understand the reason that you want to extend your range to three, give your floor, you know, give the court more spacing, but it just seems like it's a, a sort of a fruitless pursuit in some ways. And then B not what he needs to do. I think his thing needs to just be like, let me get the mid range game going. Exactly. And not the Durant, Chris Paul, 20 foot mid range, Chris, Chris Middleton, really it's like that 10 to 16 foot. If he can get that, I mean, nobody's going to be able to block his shot with his size and length. That turnaround mid-range that you talked about, right? Yeah. That, that's what he needs. And, yep. you know, as much as I talk about Kaminsky, and like, to, to Giannis's credit, he was putting Aiden in a blender this last game. And um, they were clearing it out, right? Going, yeah. Letting him go ISO. 
it was either the Euro step. There was one play, remember, where he had that spin and it went to his left hand and like laid yep. it cleanly off the rim. And Aiden really didn't know what couldn't really handle it because Giannis at that speed and size coming from starting at the perimeter. Um, so, you know, I think he solved that as well. And earlier in the series, Aiden did give him a little bit more trouble. I mean, he was still putting up big numbers, but um, I think he solved everything by the end of it. And so, yeah, he, he kind of figured it all out. And like one, one thing I was going to say, that's interesting. Like PJ Tucker, right? He played 188 minutes in this series. How many points do you think he scored total? Six. Well, a little bit more than six. But <laughs> Twelve. Twenty. One. So he averaged four points a game, essentially. This I can't guy, even remember a bucket that P.J. Tucker made. Yeah, he had a couple, like, offensive rebounds. He hit, like, one or two corner threes, stuff like that. But he was a zero, right? At times, you could argue Drew Holiday was so bad shooting that he was almost a net negative on offense. Like, I know he averaged over nine assists a game in the series, but, like, he had a four of 19 game. He had a four of like 20 or 21 game. He had, he ended up shooting 36% from the field, 31% from three. A lot of that was just helped by game five, right? So if you took game five out of that, it would look much worse. Mm-hmm. So you're almost talking about a team. Giannis himself struggles with sometimes shot creation in the half court. I thought it was so impressive between him and Chris Middleton, you know, and like half of Brooke Lopez that they were able to put together a high functioning offense against a good Phoenix defense essentially at times playing three on five um, on offense. And I think that was an underrated element because if you upgrade that PJ Tucker role next year to a guy who's just truly a space, like truly it's like Bogdan Bogdanovich would have been just absolutely perfect. But someone who can just like, even if they let's say it had Jay Crowder, like if you can upgrade that role to someone like that, if you can bring DiVincenzo back, bring Pat Conton who played well in, you know, in the time that he had, he's not, you know, he was elevated in his role because of the DiVincenzo injury. But, like, to me, this is an offense that can get that much better because they were already kind of drawing dead on some of the matchups and they were still able to score because of the way Giannis developed and, like you said, solved everything all series. And, you know, it should be said, Chris Middleton also was awesome, um, especially in, you know, game the, the last four games that they won. And, and uh, it's a great point because Giannis, one thing is he had to – Middleton was always great in the clutch, but he'd go through his cold stretches. Obviously, like you said, Drew would go through his cold stretches. Giannis a lot of times had to pace that. <laughs> Drew offense. lived in cold cold stretches. <laughs> he would sometimes go through hot stretches. Yeah. But Giannis had to pace them through a lot of those just uh, empty offensive possessions from the rest of the team. And um, I mean, this happened multiple times, like Game Three, Game Four, even in this past game. Remember where there's a stretch where. Um, I don't know if it was game six or game five. Yeah, yeah, it was like they had like... gone up 14 points at the end of the first quarter, 13, and then they scored like three points in the next like six minutes or something like that yeah, when Giannis and, was sitting. And, and there was another game in which he scored like 14 out of their 16 points in one stretch in the second quarter. And so he was kind of pacing that offense whenever the rest of those guys couldn't get going. That being said, we talk about Milwaukee's depth. Before I went into game six i was like what does phoenix need to score to win this game and i said 110 now i was like how is phoenix going to score 110 points because booker's not getting 40 let's give him 25 let's say paul has a great game give him 25 that's 50 you still need yeah. 60 points from mikhail bridges deandre aiden i mean deandre aiden can maybe put up 20 right uh jay crowder and cam johnson and campaign yep and so as much as we talk about Milwaukee and P.J. Tucker being a zero and some of these guys not scoring, I still trust Bobby Portis. I still trust 
you know, Lopez can get a bucket here and there. But Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, these guys were rendered useless. Um, Wasn't it this series, series, game two, that Bridges had 27? I think so. But like, he looked like a total <laughs> he was shell just, of himself yeah. after that. I, I mean, it, what did he even end? Like, he averaged 12 points. Uh, he, you know, he actually had 50, 40, 90 splits, but he was invisible yesterday. He, he was invisible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but anyways, I, I, I think Giannis gets a lot of credit for this. I don't think this is a bad Bucks team. This is a very good Bucks team, but they are very inconsistent. And we've seen this throughout the postseason. And the difference between this series and that Brooklyn series or the Atlanta series is Giannis was a consistent force game yeah. after game. And so he was not going to let them lose. Yeah. I mean, I think this is what's been so infuriating. And in a way, like maybe we can talk about Bud for a second, but in a way, this is actually what makes it kind of harder on Bud. You know, we crush him for the lack of adjustments and the lack of strategic shifts, which he, to his credit, you know, really did better at, not just in this series, but kind of the whole playoffs. Part of the reason it's hard to make shifts like that is because you don't know what the fuck your team's going to look like on a night-to-night basis, right? Like, you literally have no idea if Chris Middleton's going to be just, like, draining buckets like he's Kevin Durant or if he's going to look like Juan Dixon. So that's ultimately the problem in some ways with the Bucks. And, like, you know, over the course of a regular season, they're able to just smash people with their size and with their length and athleticism. And, like, you know, the regular season's different. So they run up these huge win totals, you know, have some of historic point differentials and then come to the playoffs when it's easier to scheme for them. You're kind of at the mercy of whether Middleton or in the past, like Bledsoe would be consistent. Right. And this year, you know, holiday shooting splits wise looked kind of like Bledsoe. I think everything he did defensively is where he really leveled up, but you know, that's what kind of makes it hard. And I thought Bud, to his credit, did two, two really good things in this series. One was he got Drew to go over every screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how physically taxing that must have been. Like in today's NBA, like everyone dies on every screen. Like it's honestly embarrassing to watch. Like you know how like LeBron would try to get Steph on those like pick yep. and rolls. They would give it up without even a, a, they a just fight. automatically switch. Yeah, yeah, and it was like, dude, the guy didn't even screen you, and you're switching. Like, what's going on? He like kind of ran up to you, and you like thought he was going to. So anyway, Drew doing that was I thought really really huge. And then I thought he did a really nice job um, of ratcheting up Portis's minutes such that even when Giannis was a small ball five, he didn't have to be the only big on the floor. Yep. Because I think what they were doing then, they were switching with Giannis, and Giannis can guard Chris Paul or Devin Booker. Like he'll he'll hold his own, but it was putting Aiton on like a much smaller player in the in the switch, and they were feasting down low. And I thought keeping Portis on the court allowed them to at least maintain some size even if Lopez couldn't play. So I thought those were really two important adjustments that Bud made. And, dude, we were convinced he was going to get fired. Like, basically, yeah. I said he couldn't even get out of the con- – he had to win the conference finals just to keep his job. And now he- he's, like, he's royalty. Yeah, I mean, the the Drew Holiday fighting over the screens, because early in the series, uh, they were switching it. And I think they were getting cooked by Phoenix. And so, like, that is an adjustment in the series he made. I think – with Portis and with Lopez, like Lopez is was interesting because there'd be spurts where he'd actually be pretty successful down low, getting boards, kind of using his size to score down mm-hmm. low. There'd be stretches he was totally ineffective. And I think he managed the the Lopez Portis mix pretty well. Um, where I don't think he did a great job, you know, in, in previous series in, in Brooklyn specifically. Uh and look, he he made the right rotations. I like you said, this is an unpredictable team. You can't expect um 
you know, like some of these, you, you don't know what to expect night tonight from some of these guys. And, and PJ Tucker, you know, to his credit, uh, he left PJ Tucker out there and Tucker was a zero on offense. Like you could have easily. Yeah. I don't know if that was to his credit or not, but he, I guess he, they still won. So maybe despite of Tucker, not maybe despite of... Tucker, but I don't know, like, right. You cut out Bryn Forbes, just was disappeared from the rotation. Right. Teague, he played Teague too many minutes. Um, uh, but even Teague, at least towards the end, he realized he shouldn't even be on the floor. He played a couple minutes, I think, in, in game uh, six. Yeah. So look, I Bud. Bud oh, quickly on that point, coach, that's but. another big ish thing that he had problems with, right? Like ratcheting up the minutes of his stars. Yeah. And this year, you look at it, and Middleton's forty three, Drew's forty two, Giannis is forty. I mean, that is a big adjustment from even go look at last year's minutes versus them, you know, in last year's playoffs. And Giannis was playing like 36. That's and big. Those four it, minutes decide everything in time. It's huge. And because he wasn't playing them as many minutes, he had like much broader rotations. Like in the playoffs, you got to have seven, eight man rotations. Like you just have to. And Bud would do this thing where he was still playing like these like 10 man rotations. Giannis is only playing 35 minutes or 34 minutes, whatever. Um, so absolutely. I mean, that is the biggest adjustment he had to make. And I'm glad he did. Uh, Pat Riley had a had a phrase that was like, um, play eight, trust seven. And in this series, it was like, play seven, trust six, or trust five. <laughs> um, yep. I guess Phoenix played eight. Um, actually, not really, because you don't really count Torrey Craig. They basically played seven oh. um, for the most part. And yeah, I guess Milwaukee did too, right? Because Con- Connaughton and Portis off the bench. But really, it was like, okay, you're not going to trust all those guys. You're just praying to God that while Giannis is sitting, that something happens. And and Phoenix was getting murdered on the minutes that Booker sat, right? Oh, yeah. And they were just trying to figure out, okay, how do we get this guy six minutes, you know, eight minutes to rest? And I, I one of the things I really, really love about playoff basketball is the minute counts. Like, when it starts to get crazy like when Durant and Harden went 53 minutes in game seven like that's the kind of shit that's like man this is what you live for right like you can tell they're gassed you can tell they're just like literally about to on the brink of collapse and they can still go hard every possession you're like okay this conditioning this like sort of athleticism everything is on display is a different level of human dude I played basketball last Sunday sorry for the side note but I played basketball last Sunday for the first time in a year I was gassed after five minutes. I, I kid you not. After five minutes of playing, I was completely gassed. I was like, hands on my knees, just kneeled over, panting. <laughs> that I was, was like an elementary school play, court. Like, yeah. And I was thinking about these guys playing like 45, 50 minutes in a playoff game at that intensity. And so. I'm playing yeah, on Saturday. Um, I think it's like. I think it's just like the way you know you're washed is when like you start feeling like a burning in your lungs. Like you're actually you need like a transplant on the court. Like I think that to me is when I'm like, all right, this is probably not it for me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you get the mid range working though? That's kinda you should be teaching Giannis actually. I I did. You know my mid range game coming off the screen. Uh yeah, yeah. A little pin a, down action, floppy action rip, that they're running for you. Uh yeah. Um, but um Let's uh, let's move on to Phoenix. Yep. Because I think there's a lot to talk about on the Phoenix side. And when you talk about Phoenix, you know, this really was gravy, all gravy, this whole postseason run. Um, came out of nowhere. Uh, they did benefit from a lot of luck. But at the same time, you know, they kind of took control of their destiny and, and got here. But Chris Paul, I think we have to start there, right? So what was your takeaway about Chris Paul in these finals? Do you think he 
was a disappointment? Do you think this should have an impact on his legacy? How do you kind of think about what happened in terms of you know, his? Yeah, career? it was kind of like it was gravy and it wasn't, right? Because because of Chris Paul. Like, Chris Paul is a player who's a first bad Hall of Famer. He's done everything in the game that needs to be done except win the title. So in a way, although they were playing with house money to some extent, this was like his best and maybe last chance, right? Like, unless he somehow takes the mid-level exception and goes to the Lakers next year or something like that, right? But in terms of a team that was like he was the best player, like this guy made second team All-NBA this year at 36 years old. And so I don't know how many more t- seasons we're going to get out of him at that production level but then also for that team to have advanced that far and so it was a bummer and just in regards to seeing how I know that that fan base has never won a title I know Booker really showed out and of course Paul being sort of like the pinnacle of this whole machine and to be up 2-0 you had to have been feeling really really good if you were Phoenix right at that point even though in subtle ways the series had started shifting even in game two alone um I don't know, man. Like, Paul, I think, absolved himself decently in the last couple of games. Like, he had a pretty good game five, and I thought he was their best player yesterday, and it was actually Booker who kind of struggled. Um, and so you you sort of at least get off the stink of game four and how bad he was um, to the point that, you know, maybe you say, look, they just lost to the better team, and that's what it was. It wasn't like he choked, which is like the prevailing notion. But then again, they were up 2-0, and he's the only player in NBA history to lose four 2-0 leads. And so those kind of things have started to rack up. You know, I think Phoenix, one thing that I felt clear about, and I would not have, I promise you, this isn't an asterisk, this isn't anything, but it felt pretty clear that they were not the best team in the West, um, you know, at full strength. Milwaukee, maybe you say Brooklyn's better, that's fine, but I think Milwaukee was clearly better than Philadelphia. And so it really felt like one team – Deserved to be there, had been on the stage for a while. The other one, a couple lucky bounces, you know, here and there. And this is the thing, though, right? Because as young as their core is, and even though they plan on bringing Paul back, I don't expect them to be back in the finals. I mean, just the way the West is reloading. So it's gravy and it's not. I come back to that. It's like you're there, you're happy, you know that you're blessed, but it is kind of maybe you're one shot, right? And you're up to all. Yeah, I mean, the Chris Paul. He, his number, I mean, he did play well last game. Um, his numbers on the series were fine. I, but in these fourth quarters, uh, I feel like he was way too passive. Um, and especially game six where Booker, I get it, you, you need points. Booker is the only go-to guy. But clearly when Booker is not having it, run something through Chris Paul. I, I feel like he was really not part of the action towards the end of the game in a couple of games. And, I mean, this is a guy who's only, what, six games removed from putting up, what, 40 41 41 um against the clippers yeah 41 and zero turnovers and and so it's not that he doesn't have it in him i'm not expecting chris ball to go in and put up 30 a game he's not that type of player that's not his role but i i just towards the end of the game when they phoenix was in a lot of close games like even game three and game four when they lost in milwaukee those Mm -hmm. games were tight at the end and the what i have faith in chris ball doing is controlling the pace slowing the game down winning those half court possessions and he didn't do that. And it's not an indictment on him. I don't think they lost because of him. He didn't choke, nothing like that. But I did feel a little underwhelmed with, with his performance in this finals. Yeah, he, he's, he can get you 30, and he'll be super efficient, and he won't force it. He won't be taking a ton of bad shots. You'll never really shoot, see him shooting like 8 for 26. It's just not in his DNA. He can get you 30, but where his kryptonite is against big physical guards. 
Um, which, okay, any small guard you can say that to, but Chris Paul is so good against everyone else that when you put that in his face, it really gives him problems. Um, so to me, the bigger issue was Drew, not as much like him choking or him not being able to like get through. And so you go back through the series, right, that he's had historical trouble with. The Warriors, they were able to kind of get clay on him a bunch, right? They are able to get Sean Livingston, some of these bigger guards. Uh, Steph here and there, but he didn't really, Steph didn't really guard Chris Paul that much in those series, especially the Clippers ones. You look at the Thunder series, Russell Westbrook always kind of had his way with them a little bit, right? Because he's big, physical. Even this playoffs, think about who he t- toasted. The Nuggets, who had Compazzo and Austin Rivers, and the Clippers, who had Beverly, who sucks, first of all, is super overrated. Reggie Jackson, who's never going to play defense. And, you know, they Terrence just didn't Mann, have the personnel. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so that's why I think it's really interesting because then you insert Drew and it's like, we've seen this movie before for sure. Um, and so I think, I think with Paul, it was less about, yeah, I agree. I was a little underwhelmed. I was kind of just like, is this guy a true superstar or is he not? We can't give him the excuses when he's not doing what he wants and then say, Hey, this is the greatest dude who's ever played basketball when he is right. He has to, you have to judge these guys fairly in both instances. And the proof was in the pudding that it's just tough. He's a six foot point guard. And that's not usually the archetype that can be the best player on a championship team. Uh, they got really damn close, um, few fortuitous roles, but ultimately, to me, that was kind of why the series ended up shifting because Booker had to become the best player, and I don't know that Booker's at that level yet either. Yeah, absolutely. And Booker, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, he fell flat the last game and 0 for 7 from 3 and he had a poor shooting night. I don't put any of this on him. I, I think Booker, to me, was super impressive. You know, the fact that you can put up 40 in back-to-back games when even if Drew Holiday is not always on you, Drew Holiday for a lot of the game is on you. Um, you have Giannis in the middle, and and Drew and Booker is not a guy who lives behind the three-point line. He lives in the mid-range. He he has to score, you know, closer to the basket where Giannis's length can bother you, where um, Phoenix's size can bother you, or Milwaukee's size can bother you. And I thought he played in fantastic series all things considered um and so like you know if i'm phoenix i i feel good about booker i feel good about aiden this postseason right mikhail bridges is only going to get better you feel good about this team but like you said chris paul they're gonna have to figure out if they're gonna pay him because he's he's probably gonna decline that option right yeah so Um, he's owed 44 million for a year which was thought to be the biggest albatross contract in the league right they had to give picks to the thunder to get off that deal if he declines, you know, the rumors right now, maybe something in the three for 90, three for 100 range. Yep. Phoenix is going to have to do it, right? What else? Are you, I mean, they can't let him walk. You have to do it unless Chris Paul gets uh, tempted by other. Uh, you yeah, know, unless he's passionate. like, hey, I want to go play in Madison Square Garden and that's that. I just want to go to the Knicks and therefore, you know, I'm an unrestricted free agent. And I'm going to go. Let me ask you one thing about Booker, though, because the part I'll push back is on. Back-to-back point, 40-point games, no doubt about it. The game before that, though, he went 3 of 14, right? Two games after that, he goes 8 of 22. So to me, the ascension from I'm an all-star, maybe fringe all-NBA type player to I'm on this 15-man ballot year after year after year is the consistency. And I don't know that he has it right now, and he hasn't had it really like in a lot over his career. I think his big games, he looks like, you know, one of the absolute best players in the league. And then he struggles sometimes because 
when the mid range isn't falling, he doesn't know how to get to the line yet. Right. He doesn't know how to go like grab a bunch of rebounds and like get dirty in that regard. I thought he played an awesome series and I thought he was absolutely cooked by the end just physically, but that's his next step. How does he bring it night to night? Because although he did play a lot of minutes, this series was kind of nicely spaced out in terms of the TV schedule of the last four games. They had three days between each, I think. And so it wasn't like as grueling as sometimes when you see every other day, like in the conference finals, for example. Yeah, no, he look, he's still not there yet. I agree. Um, I think given his, the current player he is, I thought he played very well. I absolutely agree. He needs to learn how to get to the free throw line more. His three-point shot needs to be more reliable because you can't live in the you can't consistently live in the mid-range like that in today's NBA. It, it's just hard. Um, but that being said, like I never considered Booker to be that like Booker was never someone I held in that high regard. I was not saying this guy's all NBA. So but maybe we need to change that though, right? And now the he's expectations got, I mean, he's, might be he's only twenty-four. Down. Talking about Giannis's yeah. age, he's only twenty-four, and so. His ceiling, I think he's really changed people's tunes. Because, like, last year it was kind of like Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, right? They went absolutely batshit yep. crazy that one series. And so you're like, okay, let's reevaluate. Murray came back down to earth a little bit. Mitchell, though, kind of solidified himself as like, okay, I'm a 25 to 30 points a night guy on the best team in the West. I think Booker has that type of leap in him if he's not already there. He does, and, and there are some things Booker, like he was playing very out of control towards the end of game five and game six. And I think um, he's he still has a lot to to get better at, but I, I still think it's very promising, right? He's totally because totally. He, like, awesome. he showed that on the biggest stage, he, he can carry the offense, you know, for a couple of nights, um, especially when Chris Paul didn't always have it going. And getting out of control is also to your point of like, he's the only option. Yeah. And so now you're like, okay, everybody's keying in on me. <laughs> Jake Crowder's not taking anyone off the dribble. So what do we do? Um, did you find it interesting that in game six, they ended up kind of shifting Drew over to Booker more um, and sort of letting Paul have his numbers? Because Paul was being made way more aggressive, but he also wasn't being like hounded by Drew the way he was earlier in the series. And it was I thought it was super interesting because that version obviously worked, right, to the tune of three straight wins. And then Bud kind of flipped it a little bit kept Drew home on Booker a lot more, kept everybody home on the corner threes, and then let Paul go to work. So I don't know if that was intentional or maybe it was just a couple like random switches that took place, but I thought that was a very successful and interesting turn. It was happening more, and I think it probably was intentional. I liked it because Chris Paul, the other thing I didn't like about him these couple of games was there were times he had wide open threes. Um, and I don't know if it's his shoulder or I, I know he's not a guy really in love with a three ball, but you have to take some of those shots and he'd always dribble it in and kind of play into what maybe Milwaukee wanted. Um, and I think with Drew kind of bottling up uh, Devin Booker, even when Chris Paul got some of the switches and he'd get Giannis on him, he couldn't take advantage of it. Like I know he did hit, hit a couple of mid range jumpers over Giannis, but game one and two, he was feasting on mismatches with Aiden and they were playing that pick and roll perfectly. I just don't think he was that big of a threat to Milwaukee. And so it made sense for Booker to kind of, or holiday to expend his energy on Booker than worry about Chris Paul when he really wasn't um, that impactful offensively. He did get his numbers, but I, I didn't really feel it for most of the game. Yeah. I think um, he definitely, it was one of those like accumulation of numbers without necessarily having a big impact. Um, 
But the other guy I think on Phoenix that took a leap, but you can still there's st- still tell there are holes would be Aiton, right? Who defensively looks like a beast. He's got to figure out how to stay out of foul trouble. Obviously, very tough with Giannis barreling into you at play after play. Phoenix's lack of bigs depth was really exposed here, but I thought Aiton. One of the actually one of the most thing, impressive things about Aiton in this series in these playoffs were just the sheer minutes he played. Yeah, this is just not common for a center to be playing thirty eight to forty four minutes a night. Like he and to be out there the whole time means you're not picking up fouls in the game. So I thought a couple of games that he got in foul trouble. You know, some of that is unavoidable, but he's got a really really interesting future. If you go back and look at his numbers. Even as a rookie, he was averaging like 18 and 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like he had a problem doing that. It was on terrible Suns teams that lost like 55 games. Now he's playing a more team beneficial, but maybe less individually great version of himself. I'm interested to see how that changes because ultimately as a number one pick with all the promise that he has, he should be able to play a team-friendly version of himself that's still a 20 to 25 point a night guy. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I think that's his ceiling. I'm curious to see if he gets there next year or how that continues to progress or if he becomes like the super, like the best version of like Rudy Gobert, just like a role player, but like ultra efficient on both ends and ultra impactful on both ends. Yeah. The, the thing with Aiden, he was given the hardest job this entire series uh, being the point person on Giannis and the, the offense, like, like you said, he's been playing a more team beneficial role, you know, 15 a game. But in this series, they needed him to get 20 every night. They just needed to because the scoring was not coming from any other places. And I thought he lost his confidence a little bit offensively in that game six. And there were a couple of times I think he was just worried about Giannis. Like he, he'd kind of have his back down uh, down low in the post and he'd, he'd turn around and put up a really quick kind of bunny. But he'd do it so fast, I think just worried that Giannis was kind of patrolling yeah. the paint or right behind him, right? And I don't think he was was as assertive offensively. But to your point, I think he needs to become that guy. You can't yep. be a Rudy Gobert because there's already questions about Rudy Gobert and how he's limiting Utah Jazz. And, and luckily, Aiden has an offensive skill set. He has soft hands. He has a couple of moves. Um, and I think for Phoenix to be successful, they need him to be a 20-point-a-game guy and relieve some of that scoring pressure off the rest of the team. And he can. He can, and I think he's shown enough strides this postseason that would make you believe he could be but um absolutely he he has to become better there yeah i mean i think the suns have a lot of promise i just hope that it they don't get swept under the the wind of just like okay one team that made it under fluke circumstances and they don't kind of come up because you know if you think about it, and maybe it's a good time to like look ahead to next year right you think about um who are the favorites? Like even the betting markets, the Bucks are third coming off a title. So Brooklyn is prohibitive favorite, followed by the Lakers, followed by the Bucks. Um, you know the Warriors are going to be back in some capacity, right? You know the Clippers, depending on Kawhi and how long that injury is and whether they re-sign them, they're going to be there in some capacity. You know the Nuggets have a chance. Philadelphia is going to reload, potentially trade Ben Simmons. So what do you think about going into next year? Like, I guess I'll start here with this statement. You could push back or agree. Like, if you could guarantee full health from every player in the league right now, I think Brooklyn walks to the title. Yeah, 100%. Is that crazy? No, not at all. Every other team has question marks. The Lakers have an aging LeBron. Um, and, and, I mean, 
if everyone's healthy, obviously if Anthony Davis and LeBron are fully healthy, it's hard to bet against them. But uh, LeBron's age, the Clippers are an, another threat, I think, who could potentially win it. But all these teams, man, when you stack them up against a fully loaded Brooklyn team, and after seeing Brooklyn, the way they played defense, the way they played team basketball against the Bucks without their stars, yeah, I find it hard to believe that they'd lose with all three of those guys. So, and it's kind of easy for them to create. To, to get more talent if they need to, either yeah. through, you know, the DeAndre Jordan, you know, his 20 million left, they could take on a bad contract or whatever. Like they're going for it. Joe Sy, their owner is rich as hell, right? He's like part owner of Alibaba or whatever. So I don't think money is an expense at all. Or, or money is not an object at all, I should say. It is an expense. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Brooklyn, depending on what they want to do with Joe Harris, there's just a lot of ways to tinker with that roster, despite the fact that you have three max contracts that are not going anywhere. The Kawhi thing is just, we just don't know. Um, I could see him with the way he manages his health, just being out all of next year. Right. Yeah. That, I and forgot about that piece. He's not even going to play until. Yeah. If like, anything, I don't even the postseason. I don't know what the, because like the fact that he had the surgery makes me think a lot of people were like, why would he just wait till surgery? Because it was a partial t- torn ACL, my guess is they tried a lot of rehab methods first that probably didn't feel like they were improving the the strength and quality of the knee. So they're like, okay, we have to go to surgery. Um, yeah, man, I, I don't know. Like Utah, what are they going to do, right? They were the one seed. Um, with a healthy Mike Conley, maybe they beat um, Clippers, right? Exactly. And then I, I don't know because they kind of flamed out and Rudy Gobert was POS. But at the same time, who knows? they weren't that far away from the conference finals. And then you talk about how they matched up with, with Phoenix would have been kind of fascinating. So they have a move to make, right? Whether that's trading Gobert, I don't know that the market is super right for them or that's fringe moves with, with Ingles or Bogdanovich. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of activity because I think teams are going to look at this year and say, Hey, we are really two moves away. We could be Phoenix. We could miss the playoffs 10 straight years and get the two seed. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that your title you're gonna end up in the finals, but if you're a two seed, you gotta feel decent about your op- your chances, right? Um, we could be the Knicks, laughing stock of the league all the way up to the four seed because they like tried hard and made a couple of good moves. So I think the blueprint is is here for right now for how a lot of teams that you know we're we're two fans of teams that are in this position. How do they feel like they're positioned to to make a run and and what are they like? How aggressive are they gonna be? Like Sacramento was involved in Dame Lillard whispers so what are they thinking about right you know so that's kind of what i'm interested to see over the next month they're gunning for that eight seed man there's no two seed there's the eight seed that's if lillard was traded to sacramento you'd have to think fox is in that deal yeah but i don't know why they do that yeah they wouldn't other than to say hey we have like a top 10 player i mean he is you're not you're not building the rest of the roster out we don't have the assets to make it a compelling team and you're giving up on Fox, who you're paying him a lot, but he's a young guy instead committing that money to Lillard. Lillard Hypothetically, no let's say you traded Fox and a bunch of picks or whatever to get Lillard, right? Keep Halliburton, but maybe Halliburton has to be in that deal, actually. So, no, I don't know. Just assuming, just assuming my fantasy, they keep Halliburton, right? Okay. Then you do the healed Bagley number nine for Simmons. That team's still not going anywhere. Heel, then you have Halliburton, Lillard, and Simmons. And, and Rashawn Holmes. Holmes. And Harrison Barnes. <laughs> who's probably jet, jettisoned out to make the contracts work. But not bad. 
I don't even know if you can pay all those guys. Fuck it, dude. Lillard Nick's and got money. Simmons, and then Holmes was going to want fifteen million a year. But anyway, so yeah, like the point being, I think a lot of every team in the West has a legitimate shot. We haven't even talked about Memphis. We haven't even talked about like every team outside of Minnesota and San Antonio could realistically make moves or are scheming to be a good team next year. Um, and so Phoenix, man, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be tough. Like this might have been a flash in the pan. Phoenix reminded me a lot of Miami last year, where Miami. Yep. You have a vet, right? Like Jimmy Butler's your Chris Paul. You have a promising young big, Bam, Aiden. You have promising young wings, but you have a good run, and then the next year it's not that easy. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, like if if you told me fast forward a year, Phoenix draws Dallas round one and loses. Yeah, I'm not gonna be like it's... the most shocked person on the planet. And I just didn't. I didn't even mention Dallas, by the way, when yeah. I just went through all those teams, right? Because they have maybe the best player in the West next season. Who knows? Um. So I, I think it was a really fun series to me. I know the injuries sucked just because it sucked to lose the best players in the league at like really inopportune times. I thought the basketball in this series, while it wasn't always pretty, while it wasn't always close, it was so intense and it was, they just seemed like they were playing so damn hard and, you know, all playoffs along, both teams were just really, really impressive, like kind of meeting every challenge that faced them. Um, especially Milwaukee. And I think we got an awesome series for it. I'm, I'm, you know, I know the ratings are all way up from the bubble, still kind of down from previous years, but who gives a shit? Like it was still awesome. And I think next year we're fine. We can go back to, you know, New York versus LA and everybody can watch. But this one was, I think one for the basketball heads. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think the market, like I hate the small market, big market. Like, I don't know why everyone keeps talking about this. It's not about small market, big market. It's about stars and non-stars. Yeah. The markets literally don't matter. Um, five out of the last 11 titles were won by small markets, I believe. Like that's like 50%. So, so I, that's not the problem. I think what made this series good is that Giannis legitimately, I mean, he's always been a superstar, but he took himself to becoming like one of those household name superstars, right? Where he now has the success at the highest level. There's no questioning him anymore. Devin Booker, Chris Paul is also a pretty big name. Devin Booker, is showed that he's also you know a good star so despite the ratings being bad i think it is good for the league to get these guys that exposure and to you're going to need someone to carry the mantle once lebron is out right um and so the more of these guys that get that exposure the better yeah i mean look i think the league loved Giannis winning like i think they love for some reason the league is interesting right they want parity they want small markets to flourish while knowing the best ratings and the most money always comes from the big markets or big stars playing each other over and over i guess their point is the market doesn't matter right like cleveland versus golden state was the highest rated finals like in the last 10 15 years right so as long as Giannis gets to that range which he absolutely can. Uh, he's coming up with like a quotable. How long till people turn on him and just hate him? Because I think he had the highest approval rating in the league. It's only gotten higher in the last you know week and a half. Eventually, just like they always do, because our society is filled with terrible, just cynical people, it's going to turn. So what is your over-under? Like 12 months? No, they won't turn on him because he's such a lovable guy. The only way they turn on him is if he flames out next year in the postseason. Because... He is getting unbelievable amounts of hype right now, and people are talking about him being top fifteen all the time. You know, all this kind of these kinds of conversations. That if he has a flame out next year in the first or second round, that's when all the haters are coming out. But I, I think otherwise, no one is treating him like a villain. 
dude, this guy's getting so much love. Like people keep saying, like, how can you hate Giannis to me? Like, how do you hate Giannis? He's an amazing guy. I get it. He's an awesome guy. There's nothing you can hate about him. I don't like him as a player, but like everyone's acting like if you don't like Giannis, there's something wrong with you. But didn't um, you vandalize his house last year? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, but like, look, like Giannis is literally the most lovable player. Like every quote he has, every interview he does is like a highlight, right? And he's just like this cuddly bear. You want, you know, even the 50 piece chicken nugget clip. So no one's going to hate funny. him. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, the biggest revelation from that was you can get half lemonade, half Sprite at Chick-fil-A. Yeah, no ice. And he does no ice too. That's like smart. Maximum volume. Dude, the other thing I was going to say though is like some of those quotes, as lovable as they are, because I think he, English is his second language and things like that, they're almost even better. Like if an American player oh, said 100%. it, you'd be like, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about, dude? Like, 100%. But I think that he has this charm because, you know, it's this like, oh, it's this foreign guy. He's like learning the language. He's finding out what smoothies are, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and he's yeah, dropping yeah. these like random like nuggets of wisdom and like wit. Um, I could see the, the 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 cynical crowd being like, all right, Giannis, we get it. Like, this is all contrived. It kind of happened to Steph in a little bit, right? Where he was this huggable, lovable guy for a little while and then turned heel. Yeah, but you know why, right? When Steph loses, that's only when Steph lost. And then obviously KD didn't help anything. The Warriors became villains. But it's when he loses, people take joy in that. So absolutely, if Giannis flames out next round or next year, a lot of people are going to be coming out to Woodbrook saying, see, He's not as great as everyone thought he was. Yeah, um, yeah. So there was a lot of conversation about after the game, LeBron, I'm sorry, Giannis um, talking about how he could have gone to a super team. And he didn't. He, wanted the yeah. e- he didn't want the easy way. He wanted the hard way. And they did it in Milwaukee. Would you make of those comments? Uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was less than a veiled shot at other guys around the league. So I had a problem with those comments because um, – he made it seem very black and white, right? That the choice is you stay with a team and you're loyal or you team up with superstars. And he took the noble, loyal way. The reality is the decision is never made like that. The decision is made based on whether your team is ready to sell out for you. And let me explain what I mean by that. Last year, before the season, there was a lot of chatter about Giannis maybe not staying with the Bucks. Giannis himself said, he would stay in Milwaukee if they built a contender around him, right? He, he had comments alluding to that. He never threatened to leave, but he said, as long as Milwaukee is trying to compete, I would love to sign here, right? And then sign the Supermax. So what does Milwaukee do? Milwaukee is a team coming off 60 wins uh, for a couple of seasons, right? Um, they could have easily said, look, we're a 61 team. We'll run it back with Eric Bledsoe. Instead, they give up the farm for Drew Holiday. And Drew Holiday is not some superstar, but they give up three first-round picks. And everyone, including the both of us, agreed it's an overpay for Drew Holiday, although the fit makes sense. Correct? Yep. So Milwaukee showed Giannis the love by trading three first-round picks to get Drew Holiday, a massive overpay, and but it worked out. Now, in an alternate universe, if that if they don't win the title this year, they're stuck with Drew Holiday. They're stuck with Chris Middleton. Yeah, they got Giannis, but you're locked into this roster. So it was a massive commitment. So my point being, if they didn't sign or if they didn't trade for Drew Holiday last year, Giannis, if they ran back Eric Bledsoe this year, Giannis might have left and no one would blame him. And Giannis talked about that as a possibility. Uh, so I just think that the loyalty and super team, it's not, it's based on what your team is willing to do for you. 
Kobe's another example of this. People talk about his loyalty. Kobe almost went to Chicago. He all, he was pretty much demanding a trade to the Lakers or from the Lakers, you know, in the late 2000s until they brought Pau Gasol in or um yeah, they got Pau Gasol. And that changes everything. That changes the narrative. Kobe was with the Lakers for his entire career. He's loyal. Dame Lillard is in a similar situation right now. Dame Lillard, let's say Portland a year ago, massive overhaul. They traded CJ, traded a bunch of first-round picks and got another star. And the Blazers won the championship. Guess what? Dame would say, I'm loyal. I always wanted to be here. I did it the hard route. But now we're in a situation where Portland did not make any moves and Dame might leave. Is it because he's not loyal anymore? No. So it, it, this, is, this whole thing about, oh, super, oh, I don't like super teams. I'm loyal. It's not about that. It all falls back on the organization and what they're willing to do. And props to Milwaukee for having the balls to pull off that trade and keep Giannis happy. Because if they didn't do that, he might have been gone. I think you're missing, okay, all point taken. I think you're missing a couple key things in this argument. One is that Giannis, okay, let me step back. Any team that was in the Bucks position of winning 60 games but flaming out early in the playoffs, really not even making the finals, would feel the pressure. You couldn't run it back with Eric Bledsoe after they just got trounced 4-1 in round two. No team would do that. No team has done that. You can go back to the 2000s LeBron Cavs. That they, even though they made a finals, they made a conference finals. You could argue they made the wrong moves, but they tried to load up they every year. They made fringe moves. They made no. Fringe they got moves. they no, no no. They at the time those those guys were highly paid on their team. Ben Wallace, Larry Aging Hughes, ben Antoine Wallace. Jameson. Those are fringe moves. They That's were, not selling out. Neither is Drew Holiday. That's a fringe move. He's made one All Star team in his career. Them trading three picks. It's, part of that calculus is that it was the 29th pick or the 30th pick year after year. So why is that such a big trade? It's not a massive overpay if you know that's going to keep Giannis. And as long as you keep Giannis, you're always going to be picking in the bottom five. So you can't say it's a massive overpay assuming that they knew he was going to stay if they made that trade. Right? You can argue it's a massive overpay just on the front in terms of what it looks like. But like we've talked about, that trade is much different than the Harden one, which is like years into the future when who knows what's going on with Brooklyn Stars. It's a different situation when you're talking about 25-year-old Giannis at the time. Secondly, the big thing you're missing is not just that he stayed, it's that he committed to stay before this title run. He signed the extension before this season. So the last thing he's aware of is that bubble failure. He has no idea how Drew's going to fit in. He knows it's an upgrade versus um, Bledsoe, but Drew has also never done anything in his career, right? Like I said, he made one All-Star team in 2013 with Philadelphia. He'd never been out of round two. He'd won one playoff series in his whole career. You know, him and Anthony Davis got swept twice by the Warriors. So it's not like this guy carried some crazy basketball reference page that Giannis was like, okay, now we're cooking, right? So the fact that he committed before that run kind of – nullifies in some degree the point of, well, he waited to see what they'd do and if it would work. He did wait to see what they would do, but we don't know that it would work. And thirdly, I think, you know, it is easier to have gone to Dallas and just signed with Luca than what he chose to do. Yes, your point is that after the fact, sure, it sounds great. It's like, yeah, I was loyal. Like, see, we won. But like I said, before they won, six months before the season, or, you know, sorry, six months from now, six months before now, before the season started, he made that five-year commitment. So I think that in itself shows that the loyalty of just, hey, you guys have taken steps was enough versus being like what LeBron does often, which is make all the moves, 
Then let me see how it plays out, and then I'll decide. That's what happened in Miami. That's what happened in Cleveland the second time as well. Yeah, but but with those one year deals. So so here's okay. So you're right. He still made that commitment. There could have been an easier path, maybe right than than relying on or expecting Drew Holiday to be the savior. He did hold the Bucks over a barrel, and and this isn't stuff. He didn't make public demands. It's not public. Go back and read all the reports last know, year. Then? There was a lot of pressure on the Bucks organization. They felt the pressure, and that if they didn't make moves to really improve this roster, and Giannis wanted Bud, right? So Bud was not an option. Giannis wanted Bud. That they needed to. So like, I don't. I don't care if this seems like a fringe move, and the three first round picks, they're all late picks. Like, why didn't Portland do the same thing last year then? Why didn't Portland try to blow up their roster? Why is Portland running it back? Not every team is willing to make those moves and then they get stuck in a situation where their star leaves. So my point is, I I don't, I'm not going to give Giannis all the credit for being this. I'll give him some credit, fine. But it's, a lot of it is really what a team is willing to do. And I don't think every team is willing to do that. And, And LeBron, you talk about LeBron. Those Cavs teams, when I say like selling out and going after a guy that really matters, they didn't do that. Antoine Jameson, Ben Wallace, those guys played like one or two years after those Cavs stints. They were old. Mo Williams they, I mean, was still were, the second best player on that team. And like they were that's they, what I'm saying. They were bad moves, but those were high priced guys. Like Larry Hughes, he signed a six year, $72 million contract, which at the time was like pretty massive, right? Like even them trying to get Shaq, it doesn't mean that they were trying to get Lakers Shaq. It was like a move of desperation to do anything they could to keep him in place. Yeah, but it's about making the right moves, right? Or the moves. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Like that's not LeBron a was different of the because effort. LeBron LeBron didn't have to make a decision a year down the line. LeBron could see what those moves resulted in and then could leave. But the other Giannis thing is LeBron already was going to leave. Like he had, they, like this is the other thing, right? LeBron and Wade and Bosh had already figured this out a year before. Everyone knows that. They figured it out in Team USA in 08 summer originally. Then they started they kept talking. They, look, they were going to have Melo too, but he fucked up his extension with Denver so he couldn't do it. Then they brought in Bosh instead of and this was all in motion well before Cleveland did anything. Well, they they talked about it, but you're telling me that if if in 2010, uh, if the Cavs had made a trade for a, a, maybe a bigger star and the Cavs win the title against the Lakers, I think he still staying? goes. I actually think that that gives him more reason to go because then he doesn't have his jersey burned everywhere, right? Which again, stupid as hell, and it's not his fault that that people are morons. But my point being, like he's absolved himself. That's why when he left the second time and went to the Lakers. There was no remorse. There was no like, eh, you know, I feel terrible about this because he had well, already delivered stage, them. When LeBron, he was I mean, he's a different level of star. Okay. Like the, when he holds, he does the one year, two year deals, it's different. The point being, <laughs> the super team conversation, right? There are some super teams, but I hate how players, when it's convenient, get to take credit for it. Um, because Giannis, I'm telling you, there's a scenario in which you don't make that trade. Giannis does not sign the Supermax. And then you're left with him going somewhere else. And all of a sudden, he's not this loyal, lovable guy. And so, you know, even if that's not true, I don't think he needs to go out there and talk about how loyal he is, how whatever. Like, he should just say he's happy. He stayed with Milwaukee. They won. Don't need to take shots. Like, I hate super teams. He didn't take shots. He didn't call anybody by name. You're feeling the guilt because you realize what your boy did to the league. No, I'm not feeling the guilt. I don't like super teams, man. Like, you think the Kings will ever win a title with these super teams around? I don't want super teams around. Um, <laughs> the Kings won't win a title if there's no teams around, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but like, look, even if Giannis 
okay, let's say they kept Bledsoe. Let's say it flamed out again. Whatever. They had good regular season, and again, we see the same problems, and then they lose round two to Brooklyn, right? Is he walking? Probably. But at the same time, he signed it before knowing what was going to happen. That's the thing. It's not like but, he signed but it. But knowing in... they were getting Drew Holiday. But Drew Holiday is not some, like, you're making it sound like it's Brooklyn adding James Harden. Like, they're different levels. Like, now, of course, everyone wants to blow Drew Holiday left and right. But like, Yeah, but we also didn't not... know Dr- James Harden was on the Nets back then. So, of course, Drew no, Holiday was No, no, no. My point is guy. you're making it sound like the level of impact of the Nets adding James Harden. It's not no, that. He's it's a not. one-time all-star. Is... But my point is, back then, it was a big impact because we didn't know the Nets would even have a James Harden. So the Bucks looked like they'd be the top dog in the East. But you don't remember everyone being like, why the hell would they give up this package for Drew? They should have just gone Chris Paul. You don't remember all that? Uh, people did say they should have gone Chris Paul. Right? And they're like, yeah. this is the guy that they unloaded the chamber for? Like, they have no more assets. Like, this is the but, one? But Giannis signed off on it. Giannis was cool with it. Well, the, That's all okay. that matters. Yeah, but most of these stars are going to be brought in on their team's decisions, right? You think... You think KD didn't know what was going on or LeBron or Dame? First of all, the Portland thing, there's one big difference in why Portland's situation hasn't worked. It's because Dame is nowhere close to as good as Giannis is, respectfully. <laughs> Secondly, they've made aggressive moves. Again, like they're not super smart, but they paid to keep CJ. They traded what, two Carmelo? first round. Carmelo's an aggressive move? No, they traded two first round picks for uh, Robert Covington, right? They traded for Norm Powell. They traded Those for... are fringe moves. Yeah, Drew but... Holiday is the third best player on the Bucks. All those guys you talk about are not a third best player. CJ McCollum is. You they doubled CJ... down on CJ McCollum, which is a terrible decision. Yeah, partly because that's Dame's boy, and he told him to. Right? Like you think if they were, if Dame, Dame was, was like ready to ship his ass out even a year ago. Like, no, he wasn't. I'll he was... tell you. I'll tell you why we know that because in DC, when Bradley Beal finally got sick of John Wall, like apparently not rehabbing super hard and just wanting to try it up, what happened? That two months later, Wall was gone. If Dame had spoken on CJ, you don't think CJ would have been out of there? It, it's not like they have. It's not like they have like a ton of success to point to. to well, be like, they didn't hey, have the pressure yet from Dame, right? So that's part of it. Like Giannis, I'm telling you, there was pressure put on the Bucks. I mean, some of that's also credit. media driven, right? To some degree. Yeah, to some because then because uh, the media wants everyone to go to the big city, so they're already and the Photoshop galore of Giannis in every in every jersey, most fair. notably the Heat. That stuff is not coming from you. It's not like Giannis is hiring like graphic designers to be like, yo, get me in those like Miami Vice threads. Go back and look at the comments Giannis made. There were some cryptic comments he made last offseason. And we all conveniently forget it because he signed and he stayed and he's the loyal guy and the lovable guy from Greece. I'm not saying Giannis is a villain. I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying he's got to be careful with his just blatant, I'm loyal, I didn't join a super team when there was a path and he could have gone down that road. That's all I want to say. Otherwise, like, look, it's great. I love it. Super Small markets win. Better for the Kings. Better for the league. I love it. All right. Fair enough. So speaking of villains, we got to talk about the villain of these modern times, um, Al G. Rhythm, <laughs> who is the starring character of Space Jam, A New Legacy. We're, so, okay, this is the part of podcast where I yell at you about Space Jam and you defend it like you directed the movie. <laughs> If you haven't watched the movie yet, I don't think anything we say is going to be groundbreaking, but feel free to stop listening. Go watch it on HBO Max or in theater, but we are going to talk about deep plot points here. So um, we have to, you know, all of this conversation was just a preamble to get to to Space Jam. So you watched it Friday. I watched it um, Sunday. So we, we we both had to make sure we saw it before 
uh, before we recorded this week. Um, you know how Bill Simmons does the rewatchables? Yep. And there's he has the different categories for like whatever, right? Yep. And one of the categories is unanswerable questions. I just think this entire segment reviewing Space Jam is unanswerable questions. <laughs> so my first question is, why was the algorithm so upset that he had to like, <laughs> like, so like, what was like, I mean, LeBron did trash his idea a little bit, but it was just, just generate another, like, that's what the guy's doing day after day. Like, what was the idea? He wanted him to take part in Warner 3000, which I wasn't even sure what it was. He like wanted him to quit being a basketball player and work for Warner Brothers full time. Um, why was he so upset? That's, I was really w- where I started with this. Honestly, I never even thought about it. But now that I think about it, I don't understand either. <laughs> because even even the game, it's not even a game he made. It was like based on LeBron's His son's, son's game. Yeah. game, right? It was not even like he wanted to showcase it or anything. That- so, to, so to do the 60-second recap of this movie, just for those listening, if you want to, so we don't jump in, LeBron's son loves video games, created this like basketball video game that LeBron wants him to stop focusing on, go into basketball, playing. The algorithm that runs Warner Brothers' like strategy division, apparently, come up, came up with this, comes up with this idea for LeBron. He hates it, so he essentially kidnaps his son. It's almost like Tron. You ever seen Tron or Tron yep, Legacy? Yep, yep. It was basically that, right? They, they like somehow bring him into the virtual reality world. LeBron has to then find a team of Looney Tunes to go beat Algy Rhythm. No, no, it's a team his, of anyone. A team of anyone in that universe. Oh, it's a team but, of anyone in the but, Warner Brothers universe. Um, but Bugs Bunny kind of steers him. Sent him yeah, they sent him to Toon World, uh, uh, to Looney Tune Land, but only Bugs was there, and for some reason was like insistent that he had to play with Looney Tunes players only. That's also yeah. on my list of unanswerable questions, but. Finally, they play the 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 goon squad, which is comprised of like Dame Lillard, Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, but all in like monster form, Dinah Taurasi, and that game leads to LeBron winning and getting his son back. So here's my question. Or let me start here. I thought they did two things that were pretty interesting, right? One was the Warner Brothers world and the different worlds, like going through Harry Potter, going through Superman. I thought that was cool. Like a cool concept. That. Well, it was cool, like, for the first one out of 87 times they mentioned Warner Brothers proprietary. Secondly, I thought the game itself being his son's game was kind of cool. Like, with the skill points and the fact that it wasn't traditional basketball, because they couldn't just do the same thing as Space Jam, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting. In both instances, they absolutely murdered each of those things that I thought were somewhat interesting by repeating them and putting them (laughs) in your face a thousand times over. Thoughts? Uh, oh, absolutely. So, okay. First of all, the the Warner the whole thing was a Warner Brothers ad. Now, the the weirdest thing is, look, it is kind of cool when they have some Harry Potter tie in and some other, but then they start doing the Matrix tie ins. They're like they're literally trying to shoehorn every Warner's brother property, and and they're straddling this line between appeasing the kids and appeasing the nostalgic adults because like Matrix, no kid is gonna understand those references. So that's kind of for us, right? Yeah. But then they have other things that are more geared towards kids. So it's just like this assault on your senses on like trying to make you remember every single movie that was classified as Warner Brothers because they also have a streaming service coming out soon. So that's the whole play behind this, right? It's like to remind you of all these movies and why you should buy the service. 
Also, dude, we've watched all those movies. Those are like the highest grossing movies of all time. Like, yeah. we've all seen the fucking Matrix. Like, my God. But they want you to watch it again. And they want you to know uh, yeah, it's I only going to so. be on the Warner Brothers service. Um, so, first of all, that, they... they it was embarrassing ab- how much just shit was in our face. Yeah. They abused that. And then to your second point, which is... What was your second point? I thought the game and, like, the fact that it wasn't a oh. traditional game was kind of interesting. But then, like... It, it didn't make sense. They were scoring like 600 points of possession. They're, they're scoring like 600, 1,000. And then towards the end of the game, the last couple of buckets were like two points each. It's like, what? Dude, I was going to say this. I honestly thought I was like too just, I don't know if I was delirious, but going into the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, the score was 1,040 to like 1,039. And there was four total points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. it's Because like, like LeBron was like making out with his son halfway through the like on the court. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, the scoring the scoring was ridiculous. It started off funny, like kind of cool, okay, and then it was just like now it's gonna be a real basketball game. All of a sudden, it's like thousand thirty nine, thousand forty, thousand forty one, one thousand forty. It's like, dude, what are you doing? It. They also didn't let the like. So I I actually watched Space Jam one um, fairly recently, right? I would say within the last yeah. like two months, just just bullshitting one night. It's not a good movie, right? But it doesn't try to do something like too out of the box it just allows itself to be a simple kids movie with like a really famous basketball player who says minimal things because he's not a good actor but they just let it be and they have like this like funny it was like very irreverent humor with like you know where the fortune teller is telling them that bugs bunny captured michael jordan who's doing all this and the monster stole their talent and like what is he talking you know all that kind of just like simple jokes this one was trying to like break the record for like highest cgi in one movie while also making like all these serious points while also trying to be loony and none of it seemed to like mesh in any way yeah and and let's be honest for anyone who hates lebron this only makes you hate him more because the amount of references to king james and king and more than an athlete and a lot of it was a big kind of love letter to lebron and even as the biggest lebron fan i was cringing man it was a little too much i'm like dude okay get it (laughs) you're like only i'm allowed to call him that yeah only i'm allowed to call him that but But um, what was like don Cheadle spoke like 60 percent of the movies lawrence he he was way he's in the movie way too long we did not need to see him because like you said his whole storyline didn't make sense his motivations didn't make sense so i don't know why they spent so much time and also like why was LeBron okay? Three, I'm gonna ask you three questions at once about the way that LeBron was portrayed in this movie. And did you think it was weird that he allowed that to happen? The first is him being kind of a shitty dad, uh, which is something we know in real life he takes a great deal of pride in. Yep. And was this really a movie all aimed at Bryce being like, dude, you gotta play basketball? Like, you're like this could actually be pointed at his real son. Okay, so 100% this is pointed <laughs> at Bronny. So you know that Bronny obviously is a top basketball prospect. Yeah. You also know he's super into gaming. So he actually made the cover of Sports Illustrated like his dad, but not for basketball. He oh, made it as part of, part of a clan. gaming team or phase clan, right? Yeah. And so I think this is a little too on the nose because I think that um, this is literally LeBron talking about his Bronny who's now in this kind of inflection point in his career where it's like, should I stick with the video games or should I continue to play basketball with my dad? So I think, I really think it's based on his own life. But they made it the second kid to not be too obvious. 
you really well, have to read that wasn't the even Bryce. That was some random kid, right? Actor. No, no, no. But it was the same. Like two older brothers, and then one. Oh yeah, in daughter. the movie, yeah, there was an older. Yeah. yeah, they tried to make it a little less obvious. You're right. All right, my second question: LeBron, who's notoriously also known as a leader, right? Camaraderie, everything. Did you find it weird that he was basically despondent in in the locker room at halftime? Like you couldn't get him to even like look up, and he was like yelling at the grandma. I thought I that was weird. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why he portrayed himself like that. He also didn't do much throughout most of the game. I was like, <laughs> yeah. what, are you, what are you there for? You're not hyping the team up. You're not contributing on offense. Um, You're you getting zero skill points. Oh, talk about it going against LeBron's character. LeBron would have you damn sure you, he would have picked his own team. You think he was like the moment yeah. Bugs Bunny was like, no, let's go with this guy. LeBron was like, all right, that's fine. Just he would have yes. traded Bugs. He would have traded. And thirdly. The one thing that was fitting is he didn't take the last shot. <laughs> but, and he threw bugs under the bus, just like Kevin Love. Yeah, that's, that, that's all true. It's all true. So I thought the movie was probably like on rewatch. I would probably enjoy it more. I was not going into it looking to criticize. Like I wanted to like it. It wasn't like a LeBron Jordan thing. But this kind of settles the GOAT debate in a way. Like I think it really puts the stamp on it. Um, but it was tough. It was it was yeah. tough. What else caught your eye yeah. that we haven't talked about? Um, so the the monsters. So Anthony Davis, mm. Dame Lillard. They literally. I don't know what. So they had like one line as their real them their real selves, like in that gym, right? And I know in the original, like it's not that um, Sean Bradley and Muggsy Bogues played but a prominent a few role, scenes. but they had multiple scenes, right, in the hospital yeah. or like. These guys were only in that gym scene for like a split second. And then ever since then, they were cartoons. And even as cartoons, they didn't really have much dialogue. So what the hell were these guys hired to do? I don't get it. And the gym scene that they were in was so bizarre. It was at All-Star Weekend and they were giving Bron, uh, like whatever, <laughs> yeah. Dom, their like measurements for this video game or some shit. And they were yeah. all there. Like what the fuck was going on with that? So I didn't think they like incorporated those guys in any real like unique and way. why was like, why dame the time? one that why was dame the one that kept having to go to the bench like he was the sixth man well, like, well dame was also dumb. the one introduced later in the game right yeah they like came in like con- conjured him out of nowhere but like when dom was playing with the other four dame oh, wasn't dame there was the bench. then when don Cheadle like somehow turned into his own goon squad guy dame went to the bench again meanwhile they were playing like tarasi and i don't know who the spider person was but so unlike you i was not playing close attention to the the road rotations <laughs> and like who was getting you know, they ran the zero spain they ran the zero roster. spain pick and roll too <laughs> um but okay here here's some of the things i did like right i think they did embrace some of the looney tunes classic zany yeah. humor which i haven't seen in a long time because who the hell has watched the looney tunes uh, outside of yep. me watching space jam um so some of the woolly coyote stuff um i i it was cringy but i actually laughed pretty hard at the porky pig rap just because of how bad it was um, absolutely out of control out, out in notorious movie. pig it was so dumb but it, it was one of those things where i was like it was it was funny to me um what did you think about the live action looney tunes kind of weird but the cgi was impressive i didn't think you needed all that but it honestly was yeah. pretty impressive uh it i just also hated that 
the everything around him. You know how there's so many characters watching, and there's just like it's just a dude. Yeah, it's like we don't need twelve night sh- shots of the Night King like he's Coach yeah. K at like a you know Coach Calipari at an Anthony Davis game. Like we get it, the Game yeah. of Thrones fucking universe it belongs to you. They kept trying to show the the shots of all these like side characters on in the sidelines, and it was just too much, man. Like I wanted to pay attention to the basketball game. I like how the original Space Jam is actually in a uh gym. arena right or in a gym yeah. yeah yeah so it puts more attention on the court this was kind of just there's too many colors it's like what was going on why was lebron a cartoon in looney tune land but jordan wasn't yeah i mean they, they took some i don't know why they decided to change it because the, the funny thing about it was that? like lebron wasn't even in a lot of the movie because it was like his cartoon form yeah uh lastly you you mentioned the crowd why were all these people cheering when they knew that the outcome could have just been them remaining in this virtual game forever? Like, wouldn't you be freaking out? Like, they, his they wife and family wouldn't have been like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they should have been like ASAP trying to get out of this game. But they were yeah. like actually cheering on like what was <laughs> going on. Like some people were even rooting for like the goon squad. That made no sense. Um, yeah, it's like there's And also big were those real people? Were those real people able to interact with like the fictional people? Like, could Harry Potter talk to like LeBron's wife? Yeah, hundred percent. So, wouldn't you kind of rather just stay there if you had all your family? No, what the hell? Why would you want to stay there? You're in this random cartoon. Dude, world. this is what we dream of: like being able to be at Hogwarts, like on the Firebolt, like doing all that stuff. Yeah, but I don't think you got to choose where you go. I don't think you just freely travel between all these different properties. I think you're stuck as long as you have a spaceship. Island. I don't know which property they were on. Um, it was it was very unclear which like world they were moving <laughs> between at any given moment. But um, the the other part that I thought was like random as hell was the uh, stopping the train in the Superman Batman thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're just like <laughs> I honestly need to watch it again because I think I might like it now. I think I'm like talking myself into it. I think what I what I took away so one of the the things I did like about the movie, I actually found they stayed pretty true to a lot of the original overall the way the original Space Jam was done, um, and what I mean by that is the same concepts of, you know, you see the stars they get recruited by the other team. LeBron goes into this other world. I know he was a cartoon this time. Interacts with yeah. Looney Tunes. The, even the game, right? The halftime speech. Remember when LeBron was or Michael Jordan, the first one, I think, encourages them to take that like. Well, that was uh, like Bugs Bunny filled up Michael's secret or, stuff, or, and it was like Bugs, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but and then Michael played along. Did you think the Michael B. Jordan thing was kind of funny? I saw that it coming. Was great. I I didn't actually see it coming because I there's forgot no way Michael movie. Jordan would be in that movie. No, no, I knew it was not going to be Michael Jordan, but I didn't know the joke would be. Michael B. Jordan. I thought they'd make some. Other I thought they were like you couldn't find Michael A. Jordan. Like that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, so overall, it was not a good movie. Let's just put it out there: not a good movie. Le- the other problem I had is LeBron was a good actor in Trainwreck. Yeah, I thought in this one he tried too hard. It was like he was trying to get an Oscar or something. Like he overacted. <laughs> yeah. He was not. He saw Kobe had one. He was like, "This is my next step." Like just the very first scene when he like walks onto the court to like scold uh dom yeah it it just felt so forced and fake and i was like oh god this is how do you get one of those machines where you say ball and it just feeds you one 
I don't know. But that was Is that just being rich? Just rich people being rich, basically? That's just being rich. Um, that thing was sick. If you had one of those in that practice dude, court where they were, I, like, you'd, you, you'd have no choice but to be the best player ever. Are you kidding me? I'd be in the NBA right now with that. Yeah. But uh, it was, look, it was uh, it was entertaining. Uh, I think kids, apparently kids really loved it. Um, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And at the end of the day, that's I, all that matters. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I think it'll hold up about as well as the first base jam, which is like not really at all. Um, but it'll always play with kids because they just love cartoons and people running around. And granted, they made them real characters this time around, but I think it's still, I think it's still fine. Does does Warner Brothers not own Shrek? I I thought they did, but maybe well, not. They, if they that's DreamWorks. Oh, that's right. Because if Shrek was owned by Warner Brothers, they would he would have been like a starring 100%. role in this. Like I need to go back and take notes of all the different like characters from Warner Brothers properties I noticed. Right? Because there must have been like. I don't know. Oh, there's so many. It was like covered? DC Comics, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, um, all the Looney Tunes, obviously. Um, what else? There's so many. And I'm not gonna lie, it worked on me because I don't associate all those things. I, I in my head, I kind of know true. Warner Brothers, but now I have that association of Warner Brothers and Game of Thrones because I saw it in the movie. That's so, true. I didn't know what Thrones was. Yeah, I didn't know that one. I knew like DC and stuff. So, in that sense, I guess they got what they what they wanted. All right, that's enough on Space Jam, A New Legacy. Everyone should go watch it, though, because if you're a basketball fan, if you're listening to this podcast, you're either a really close friend of ours or you like basketball or both. Um, so you would like this movie. for the, it's, it's all, You need to watch it for the cultural element of yeah. having seen it. You can't not have watched Space Jam. I'll put it that way. Absolutely. But, all right, man, that is a wrap for us. Um, we got to figure out our schedule here in the off season, but... Next week is the draft, so I think we should do something post draft, um, and then the week after is post is free agent start of free agency. So we'll definitely be covering that. I think there could be a lot of action, a lot of trades. I'm really really excited for it because the free agency class is not great this year, which means everyone gets really antsy and starts trading all their players away. <laughs> so I can't wait to see what happens there. Real quick preview of of free agency at least. Who is the biggest name you think is going to get moved? We're not talking Simmons. Could be. Dame. I mean, Simmons is gone. He's going to get traded, I think. So he might be the answer. I still think it's Simmons. I don't know if anyone bigger. I don't think Dame's going to get moved. I mean, Lowry is a name, but is he bigger than Simmons? I think Dame is on the move. You do? And my prediction is the Knicks. Really? Trade to the Knicks? Trade. Trade What are the Knicks going to give him? Well, I don't know exactly what the prospects would be, but they got Obi Toppin, they got R.J. Barrett, they have Emmanuel Quickly, they have Kevin Knox, they got Mitchell Robinson. Some collection of those guys are going to be interesting. They have all of their own picks, plus they have those two Dallas picks for them from the Porzingis deal. You can start to rack the assets up if if Dame signals that this you know that this is uh is this is the direction that he wants. And it's a market he's gonna want to go to. It's a team he's already like subtly highlighted. So it's not like they're trading him to Siberia. He is going to be playing for the Knicks next season. That's my bold prediction. Wow. Not he might be. He will be playing for the Knicks. Okay, we'll see. He'll we'll be see playing against or for the Knicks next year. What if he's playing for the Kings? Who knows? <laughs> Kings at Knicks, he'll be at that game in one way or the other, <laughs> as a fan or as a player. 
Uh, all right, that's a wrap. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, email us. Hope you all enjoyed the finals. We had a blast covering this 2020-21 season. It is a wrap. I don't know how we made it to the end with everything that happened this year, but onwards and upwards, and we'll talk to you guys next week.